Hello and welcome to this edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Isabel Piquer at the ILO in Geneva, and today we're going to talk about how digital platforms can become a possible pathway to decent work for young refugees. Our guests today are Andreas Hackel, lecturer in social anthropology at the University of Edinburgh and author of the ILO report Towards Decent Work for Young Refugees and Host Communities in the Platform Economy in Africa, Kenya, Uganda, and Egypt, and Drew Gardner, Youth Employment Specialist at the ILO. According to your report, Andreas, digital gig work can play a particular role for income generation among refugees. As they often struggle to enter local labor markets, refugees may look at prominent digital platforms such as Upwork in the hope that they can provide livelihood opportunities in the absence of local alternatives. But is the gig economy a real possibility for refugees, given the technical difficulties and other obvious obstacles they have to face in their everyday life? Yes, so it is a real possibility for sure, also given the, the rapid growth of the, the platform economy around the world and many people living in economies and countries that have weak local labor markets with fewer opportunities, of course, now look at this uh, emerging digital platform economy as a sort of a, a quick fix solution. But before we talk about this, we need to differentiate as well between different kinds of work on digital platforms. You have gig work on location-based on-demand platforms like in delivery, taxi services, or on-demand domestic work services. Uh, these have uh, sometimes lower skill requirements, but they often require security checks, driving licenses. They might be concentrated in a few urban areas, and they also require free mobility. In short, accessing such work requires privileges and documentation that many refugees, and especially those living in camps, Uh, or uh, under restrictive refugee regimes may not have. So this shows that the struggle to make the digital economy work for refugees uh, requires a simultaneous struggle, I think, for, for more rights and justice among refugees more generally. In theory, then, the other kind of work, desk-based work on web-based digital labor platforms, such as Upwork, which you already mentioned, looks more promising. Here, tasks and jobs can be done from, from anywhere, in theory, as long as a person has a computer, a smartphone, and internet connection. But fulfilling these basic requirements is often more difficult than it may seem. Places where many refugees live, be it in camps, settlements, or marginalized urban areas, often have substandard internet connection. And even if connectivity and hardware would be available, there are at least two other factors that limit refugees' access to these desk-based online work forms. Uh, one of these is that platforms often don't accept their ID cards or their identification, such as refugee or alien IDs. And many refugees are also excluded from basic financial services, such as bank accounts, which can prevent them actually to make or receive any payments online. Um, one exception maybe is where mobile money, which is very strong in places like Kenya, is available. These things can be overcome partly. So just lastly, uh, here, yeah, I guess to sum up the point, even if these obstacles are overcome, the question of whether the digital economy's inclusive potential can become a real opportunity for refugees often also depends on the individual background and the kind of work they do. Many fields of platform work or online freelancing are highly competitive and require strong skill sets, both in the field of work and English language skills. 
Think here about web design, computer programming, or language translation as examples. And even basic digital literacy can be a challenge. These kind of skill gaps mean that many initiatives or programs that want to help refugees make a livelihood online must focus on low-skilled work that is badly paid. And here, basic data entry services or image annotations are very common, so-called real opportunities. Such annotations are repetitive labeling exercises, human labor that trains artificial intelligence to identify, for example, what is a pedestrian in a photograph for driverless cars, or what products need restocking in automated supermarket shelves. So while all these forms of work have benefited many refugees, they are rarely decent jobs. And overall, almost all of platform work is classified as self-employment, which is a major problem from uh, a workers' rights perspective. So lots of obstacles here, and then as you just point out, uh, since the gig economy is mainly informal, can this reinforce the precarity of the refugees? What do you think, Drew? Yes, it can, very much so. But it's um, it's a complicated question. Allow me maybe just to give a little bit of background. So for, for young people in particular, and this would extend to young refugees as well, definitely, almost all jobs, and particularly in Africa, are in the informal com- economy. So 95% of young people who are working are working in the, in the informal economy in Africa. Um, now, in the informal economy, in its nature, is not necessarily inherent to decent work deficits. But in reality, it very much is. Um, it's it's uh, work which is lower paid. It's work which is less safe. And it work which, um, given that these people often don't have uh, formal work contracts, that they don't have the benefits which go along with the with the job. So, so definitely it can um, reinforce their their precarity. But for refugees in particular, it's really a, a double edged sword, and we detail this more specifically in in the report. Since refugees, um, and particularly in the gig economy, are working in somewhat of a of a of a gray zone, allow me to explain that a bit. Young uh, refugees often can't get work permits; either they're not allowed to get them, or they face a lot of difficulties getting them because they don't have proper ID. They don't have. Um, there's many occupations which refugees also cannot work in. So the gig economy, actually, given its online work, it allows them to kind of leapfrog or step over a lot of the barriers which would prevent them from from working in the first place. So although this work will, in a lot of cases, remain informal, the gig economy does open up the opportunity to kind of get around those those regulations, not um, advocating to get around them, but the fact that it does provide extra opportunities is somewhat a good um, a good thing. The other element of it is that um, that when it reinforces precarity is because informal jobs, and the ILO has proved that in a lot of different studies and, and research, informal jobs stay informal. So informal jobs are not a gateway actually to to formality. Um, in, in many cases, actually, um, and refugees in particular, they'll, they'll stay in the informal economy. They won't transfer to the formal economy. Um, and and that's, really, that's really problematic um, because so many of the jobs are in the informal economy in the first place. The ILO, um, in 2014, we passed a recommendation at our International Labour Conference. It's recommendation 
204, which is promoting the transition to the, inf to the formal economy. Now, it's not to say that all people need to transit to the, to the formal economy, but it provides a pathway for governments, workers, and, uh, and employer organizations to work together to create regulation and policy at the national level to allow for that transition. I see. So there are lots of opportunities, but lots of obstacles. Uh, so are, are we putting too much hope in this model to avoid solving other problems that refugees uh, face? Are we talking too much about the gig economy uh, uh, for refugees? Well, I mean, hope can be an important motivating force, but the danger is that it can also be illusory. And I think much of the hope being invested in the digital economy as uh, a solution for job creation and income generation in the future is justified, but only with a big but. So most important is that barriers to digital access are addressed and working conditions on digital labor platforms are improved. So as long as different key actors work together to address the many problems that we, for example, outline in our report, perhaps the high hopes are justified. And talking about these key actors, I include international organizations such as the ILO, but also governments and the platforms themselves. The digital economy undoubtedly has a strong potential for income generation in places that lack local jobs and strong local labor markets. Um, it also offers an alternative in places where refugees are excluded from many sectors and professions uh, of the economy. But many other problems need to be solved, I would say, perhaps before or at least at the same time as the platform economy can become a workable model for livelihood provision and decent work among refugees and other crisis-affected populations. So most important, I think, is that refugees should not be pushed into the platform economy uh, just because there are high hopes without at the same time working towards improved working conditions and stronger support mechanisms that can really ensure that what is possibility, hope and sort of optimism actually translates into real, uh, real outcomes that are uh, defendable and uh, you know, representative of the kind of uh, goals that are pursued by actors such as the ILO. Drew? Yeah, um, I'd say I, I, the answer to your question, Isabel, is, is no. I would say we're not putting too much hope in this model um, and, and avoiding us to solve other problems. The reality is that there is so many challenges in this area that they need to be tackled simultaneously and, and in parallel. And I think when we talk about more specifically about young refugees, um, there is a lot of regulation and a lot of policy discussion happening um, to transition us to more decent working conditions in, in the gig economy. And we should actually take advantage of those developments and those situations to also be able to apply them to populations and specifically marginalized populations that might not have um, access to those type of regulations in the first place. So let's actually ride the wave um, of regulation and policy discussions for gig economy um, to make it more inclusive and more expansive. So I would say no. Um, we are seeing now in 
different countries. Um, I was reading this morning about Italy, but also in Scandinavian countries. In California, we tried about policy and law being created for specifically for gig economy workers, you know, to allow them to have a minimum wage, uh, to have the correct employment status applied to their, their particular situation, to allow them to benefit from things like vacation and, and sick leave um, and, and pensions and health insurance that currently they don't have access to. So we need to we need to apply that to to refugees as well. And we need to at the same time think about longer term solutions for the refugee problems as well, the refugee challenges as well. And this also um, implies decent work principles to be applied to to refugees. It's an extremely marginalized population and, and currently we don't have longer term solutions for um, for the refugee challenges um, outside of you know some some good practice out there from from various countries and decent work and access to decent work is a big um, is a big factor in that that needs to be taken I think more seriously by both development and humanitarian actors as well Mm-hmm. And there are now, right now, uh, uh, concrete uh, initiatives uh, in some refugees camp to try to facilitate uh, uh, refugees' access to the digital economy. They are, they are very interesting. Uh, can you tell us more, Drew? Sure. Yeah, maybe I'll give you two examples, Isabel. The, the first one, and actually the, the report is part of um, this program, which is called uh, Prospects which is a, a project of the ILO and, and other partners uh, to improve prospects for forcibly displaced persons and, and host communities. It's a $500 million investment from the government of Netherlands and involves the international finance corporations, us at the ILO, UNHCR, which is the UN Refugee Agency, the World Bank and, um, and UNICEF, the, the UN Children's Fund. And we're doing a few um, we're, we're trying to play our role to provide new and creative solutions to give young refugees access to the gig economy. Um, one is something that we call my first digital job program. And this is a, a program for young refugees. And it's going to do three things. One is to provide incentives for, um, for digital labor operators to hire refugees in decent work conditions. Um, the second one is a, is, a, is a placement program. So it's about sourcing actually opportunities um, and negotiating with platform operators. And the third one is to give them on-the-job training and skills um, to allow them to uh, improve their skills to access this, uh, these platforms. The second example I wanted to mention is what the, the Global Initiative on Decent Jobs for Youth is doing. Um, to, to give access to young refugees on, on platforms. The Global Initiative is the, the UN platform to achieve decent work under the 2030 development agenda. And, we, and we're working with over 90 partners. And I just wanted to mention one, which uh, we also refer to in the, in the report, which is called Humans in the Loop. And Humans in the Loop is a, it's an intermediary uh, organization, which is helping young people and young refugees source work on the web. And what they're doing is they're providing a, a values-based um, type of platform to allow young refugees to do micro-task work. 
So this is artificial intelligence. Um, Andreas mentioned it before, doing things like annotation, doing things like um, photo sourcing, doing things also like uh, translation on the web. And these intermediate type organizations are playing a buffer between the bigger platforms and the workers themselves to provide them with more decent work opportunities. And we think this is a good and emerging example, which should be, should be followed more regularly. These are great initiatives, and I think that uh, the idea is to provide a framework uh, so these refugees can access uh, uh, decent jobs. And, and Andreas, in your report, uh, you mentioned some recommendations uh, to make sure that these jobs uh, of the gig economy uh, become de decent jobs, right? Yes, um, of course, I encourage um, everyone to take a closer look at these recommendations. But um, one of the things that are is important to say is that in, in terms of future interventions and what is needed, you could almost say there are two two transitions that we need to support or facilitate. The one, the first is the more foundational one that is about digital access to actually support refugees in gaining access to platforms, in getting the right skills and digital literacy and the right environment to, to actually join and access uh, income opportunities online. But the second, and that's the one that also relates much more directly to the question of decent jobs, is how do you then transform uh, what is still largely an indecent, uh, you know, the indecent working conditions that are often precarious? How do you transform this into more decent jobs? And I think this second transition is still very much, um, there is still a lot to do. And um, one of the main problems uh, that aid-funded programs or specific interventions targeting refugees are facing is that, uh, and this includes organizations such as Humans in the Loop, but also, for example, the World Food Programs, Impact uh, program, which is um, one of the, the larger UN-run digital livelihoods programs. And one thing I hear from these uh, initiatives is that they cannot be independent from the wider logic of the market. So even though, as Drew said, they provide some kind of buffer and an intermediary between workers and the clients that are buying the work, they really struggle to uh, change the underlying conditions that define work in the digital, in the, in the platform economy as, uh, you know, often low paid and indecent. So we need to succeed in the wider struggle for decent work and fair work in the platform economy at large. Um, and on the supply side of workers, of course, uh, there is a need to improve skills, invest more into skills, uh, find solutions that offer social protections and support refugees and youth in ways that reduce the risk and precarity on digital labor platforms. But on the supply side, um, um, I think, um, and this relates a bit to what Drew said on the incentives that need to be provided for employers and for clients to actually outsource and, uh, and buy work from refugee communities. So on the supply side, thinking about both the platforms and the clients that buy uh, services, um, there is a need to create more pressure towards fair pricing and fair conditions. And one step towards this would be some kind of decent work reference framework supported by the ILO and other key actors that defines minimum criteria and benchmarks for decent working conditions and fair trade in the digital economy, but also with a specific focus on vulnerable populations such as refugees or people in need of humanitarian assistance in crisis affected countries, for example. 
important global organizations such as the Fair Work Foundation are already doing this by successfully creating a reference framework for platforms to be rated as fair or unfair. It is just that there is an additional need that is highlighted by our report to think through what does this mean for refugees and other crisis-affected populations who have very particular vulnerabilities and uh, cannot necessarily be compared with the gig, uh, gig labor force at large. Um, yeah, and one of the main problems digital livelihoods programs are facing in practice is that they can provide skills trainings and support or mentoring, but they are largely powerless in transforming the indecent working conditions and low prices that characterize outsourcing work and the platform economy. And I think this is where uh, larger global coordinated investments are needed to provide such a reference framework. So lots of work uh, ahead. Thank you very much, uh, Andreas. Thank you both for your time. Our guests today were Andreas Hackel, author of the ILO report, Towards Decent Work for Young Refugees and Host Communities in the Platform Economy in Africa, and Drew Gardner, Youth Employment Specialist at the ILO. Please join us again soon for another edition of the ILO Future of Work podcast. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.